0: hello and welcome to something to declare david it's really lovely to uh to hear you again how are you
1: i am doing okay thank you beth um i was about to say i'm doing really well uh which is my standard answer and i'm not sure that's quite true but i'm doing well enough um, (laughs) that has to do uh this week um but how about yourself how are you doing
0: yes i think I will agree with good enough is good enough. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's busy. Life is full. Um, a lot of that is great. A lot of that is exhausting. Um, there are small people who are perennially sick. There are students who are perennially sick and pass you their germs very kindly. Um, so we enjoy all of that. Um, it's, uh, I don't know if we should tell when we're recording to when it goes out, but we're recording this on World Book Day. So I've been uh decorating a small child into a snail from snail and the whale because he went as the whale from snail and the whale for under the sea day about two weeks ago so i now feel my entire life has been decorated by Julia Donaldson. so yeah there
1: are worse worse people to have your life decorated by um i could quote that book pretty much i'm pretty sure i could do line for line without struggling too much
0: so, so there's a bit where my five-year-old joins in with, I feel so small. And if you haven't read Snail and the Whale, people, you need to go and find a copy of Snail and the Whale and read it to yourself because it is a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, but that awe of I feel so small, and it's just the way he says it, and it's it's the emotion that you still feel when you're 30 something, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's just perfection. Yeah
1: and uh, also we we've both taken funerals today is the other <coughs> thing that we've both been involved in um which is one of those things that i always feel inadequate when i'm preparing for a funeral that i you know i really shouldn't be doing this there must be people who seem to be better at this and i'm not sure i have got the right things to say and every time i get there none of that seems to matter And it is such a deep privilege to do. And I drive home from every single funeral I've ever done over the last 20 years going, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's something about it that just speaks to my spirit in a way that I never anticipated they would. You know, it wasn't the sort of thing that I came into ministry feeling called and passionate about. And yet there's such a deep privilege.
0: Well, I think there's something about death that's at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? And I think um, it's a really unique space to be like a midwife to grief, I think is how I feel about it, that um, there are very, very few people who who are used to dealing with death and they're usually the funeral directors that you're hanging out with as you do the funeral. Um, and us and and some doctors, Un, but there aren't very many people who are really comfortable with death because death is deeply uncomfortable so even we are not comfortable with death we're just uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable around death I think and um I think yeah and it, but it's it's all of it it's all of ministry in one go isn't it you're telling somebody's story you're telling the gospel uh you're um you're holding all the pastoral stuff that you're there to be it's about leading worship but it's it's also yeah it's it's it is so much of it wrapped up into this one event, and um and in what a privilege because it is that person's whole life and how they have showed us the face of God, and um and we have the privilege of of narrating that to the world and saying, Look what God did, look what God, look who God made, and now we give that person back, and um, yeah, it's really. Is really amazing. I don't get to do very many funerals now. In not postscript, and I count every single one as a huge gift, and I really love it. It also means I usually have much more of a connection to the person, so I rarely now do funerals for people I don't know. I used to do quite a lot of funerals for people I don't know, and now I don't. I always there are always people I know I've loved, I've usually been with as they've died in some way, and and that's its own cost I think, but um it's really special and yeah so um snuck off for a couple of hours to do one today and it was just um really I I it's a weird thing to say it felt almost restful because the rest of my job is a different thing but it it was a real privilege to reconnect with ministry in that particular way we've got death and dying week coming up um how's that as a snazzy name from ministerial block week <laughs> um, but we've got death and dying week coming up soon and then and it so we felt really appropriate actually to do a funeral just ahead of it and and to rethink through why do i do what i do how do i do it this way and what's going on there what's my theology when i say this and all those things that inevitably we'll be discussing at length but um but yeah just for the moment today it was also just an honor because I really deeply loved this woman and I got to be there for her family in that end point and handing her back to God. It's just the privilege, isn't it? It
1: is. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, The other thing we want to uh, mention as we begin this week's uh, podcast is just uh, obviously the situation in Ukraine has been uh, going on since we sort of had our mid-season break (laughs) Uh, and obviously there's a whole load of things we could uh, unpick were we to broaden the scope of, of what we talk about on, on the podcast. And I'm sure we could sustain that for many hours. Um, but I wanted to, to, amidst all of the horror and the darkness and the grief and the pain, and I'm a bit of a news junkie, but I've had to turn it off uh, on a number of occasions because I got to the point where I'm not going to be able to function at all. Um, if I keep watching this any longer. Um, but just how uh, wonderful it's been to see the response of some of our Baptist sisters and brothers in Eastern Europe and the European Baptist Federation working around the clock and to see the churches in Poland and other countries that have become shelters for refugees and I had the privilege of being in Ukraine uh, with the EBF, uh, I think three or four years ago now in in Lviv in the the Western side of Ukraine beautiful city wonderful people um a real privilege to to be there uh, so it's um, it's been good to have those connections with ukraine over recent years but just uh, you know a huge hat tip and a, a deep prayerfulness for our friends um in the baptist movement in that part of the world because uh, it's quite a privilege to be sharing the movement with them mm. uh, they're doing remarkable things. And if, if anyone listening hasn't, um, do go to the European Baptist Federation website. There's information there. There's uh, weekly uh, prayer meetings on Wednesdays uh, at the moment, praying for Ukraine. I know many folks from our, our union were, were part of that um, this week. Um, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a very special Baptists doing some special things in, in Eastern
2: Europe tonight.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is definitely one of those moments that I know we're so local. But are also so global and those things coming together in a particular way in these particular stories, I think that they're so connected into their locality, they're able to be this huge vehicle for change and response so quickly. And it's so global that we can connect into their local. And just what an honour that is for us. Um I, I yeah, I, I text Alan Donaldson this morning, who's um is it president of the UBF? I'm not quite sure. General Secretary. Um and um just to say you know what can I pray for you know is there anything specific other than the whole situation um because I'm praying for you but is there a specific thing and he talked about how many of his staff are part-time in the EBF at the moment and and how obviously none of them are working part-time in order to respond appropriately um and yeah so I've just been praying for them because I I know that You know, so often in Baptist life, we do staff teams with everybody doing their kind of half time bits of work that kind of connect together. And then when something like this happens on a catastrophic level, it just means everybody works all of the hours because it's vocational. And so, yeah, EBF teams, just know that you're being super prayed for and that we are loving on you um, and praying that God pours abundant grace into the present on the busy but also that you have the promise of good and very deep rest to come because I think both of those things are really important so pray for all of that for them
1: amen Amen. Um, but we have a guest this week you had the joy of talking to um, Claire Nichols the minister at New Addington Baptist Church i really enjoyed listening to this uh so thank you so much for recording it
0: oh it's a great interview um yeah go and enjoy claire because she's marvelous
1: let's listen in now
0: Hi Claire, it's very lovely to have you on the podcast today. Hello, it's good to be here. Um, it's really lovely to have you on because I actually know that you actually do listen to us as well. So um, it's very exciting to, to have somebody who's who's actually already briefed a little bit on kind of what we're about and, and doing. So, um, so thank you for saying yes to this. Um, uh, yes, um, other people, Claire, um, will... Uh, maybe not know you or um, if they do know you I think they will know you from uh, the recent Baptist Times article about you uh, which was telling us about an award you recently got given. Um, I'm going to embarrass you to begin with so tell us about that award. Yeah I got famous
2: (laughs) so um, (laughs) I was given a, a Rotary Award which is the Paul Harris Fellowship. Paul Harris was the founder of the Rotary Club And he um, and this award goes to to people who have done significant things in bringing the community together. Um, I can't remember the wording is, it's about bringing peoples of the world together. Um, And um, so you can donate loads of money to get this award. So people Mm -hmm. who who are in the Rotary Club um, do do that. But that's not what I did. i'm a baptist minister um it doesn't <laughs> come with loads of money normally <laughs> no, right, yeah. so what happened was at the beginning of lockdown um even before lockdown started um we i was having a discussion with um, one of our community builders and the council localities manager and i and i said we need to do something to bring together um the community leaders so we can have a joined up response to the pandemic. Um, and so we arranged a meeting, firstly in church, then someone said, hang on a minute, <laughs> let's yeah. do it on Zoom, um, because the lockdown was then happening. Um, so we started this meeting on Zoom and it's, it was weekly on Mondays and it was all sorts of people. So you got the people who were feeding the community um, and that was the initial um, focus of the meeting at first. Um, so the, the, there was the food bank and the, and the food stop um, and us as well, we do food parcels, and also the schools were doing a lot of food parcels at that point. Um, and um and the residents association as well. So they, they were on there, the council were on there, um, and other people who were leading in the community. So it carried on like that. And then we started to draw in um the director of public health who would tell us what was going on. New Addington is quite small, so that was surprising that the um the director of public health for Croydon came on um it was really helpful because that meant then when, when we had an outbreak break of one of the variants she came straight in our meeting and told us we need to do mass testing and, and it just went into action um and it meant that um if someone contacted the mp for a food parcel they'd come straight to us and we'd sort it within half an hour mm. um and that's how it was working through that first lockdown it carried on and and developed differently so then we had two weekly meetings and now we meet every month and the meetings look quite different but I chair that meeting um and apparently they love the way I chair it I try and get out of it sometimes and they won't let me they just move the meeting instead (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's good fun um so the Rotary Club um they invite me to speak at their um Rotary Breakfast online um and um they uh they heard about the work we were doing as a church um, and they offered us some money for our um, community cafe. We were reopening. And then um, they asked to come and see the community cafe and um, see what was going on. I thought that was all they were doing. And suddenly they come out with this big certificate and a badge mm-hmm. um, and gave me this award, which is how it ended up. So that, yeah, that meeting has now become a model for other meetings in Croydon. Um, that are happening in the localities Um, it's become an example apparently it was talked about all over Croydon at one point but I just say I just chair a zoom meeting that's all
0: (laughs) so so what what is what is the secret to success of a great chairing a great zoom meeting because I think I think that that is that is a unique skill what 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 do we need to do
2: (laughs) at first it was being quite uh, rampant with the mute button (laughs) so so when I did it at first I would mute people just because it was easier because I was just getting used to Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, but now there's kind of an etiquette in the meeting that they don't shout over one another. And I will threaten to mute them all if I need to. Um, and But it's quite a gentle meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I let people talk. But then they if they keep on talking over one another, um, I stop the conversation. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just about being wise in when you stop the conversation. Community meetings are notoriously difficult because you try when you get politics in it as well. Mm. Um, but we try and keep politics out um, so that it's just about helping our community.
0: Mm. Um, so,
2: yeah, I don't know what it is. I think apparently people learn a lot, but I don't know, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> maybe it's you, maybe it's just me, yeah. Your <laughs> um, so you're, you're based in New Addington. Yeah. Um, is that right? Um, tell us a little bit about the church, um, how you came to be there, what it's like, what's ministry like there for you?
2: So, New Addington is, um, is quite a deprived community, and New Addington Baptist Church was um, formed uh, in the mid 20th century. Uh, well, it actually started in the 30s before the Second World War. Um, and um, it was then it was slow. It, it was very slow at getting going because the war happened and things. Um, it was planted by deaconesses, one deaconess, um, and a group of people because it was a new community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it found its it found its uh, a space to be. Um, and then as it was formed, they got a proper minister. They had a couple of men. Um, who didn't last very long <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they got another deaconess who lasted long time and really built the church and then what happened um once we got some stability um then the needs of the community came to the fore and we became much more a community church um and um we the we have a community family project which was formed to look at as a holistic care for the community, so looking at mental health, supporting people where they are, um, Mm -hmm. offering one-to-ones. We currently have a number of groups that meet during the week um, to help with social isolation. Um, and We support a number of families with food parcels and um, help during the holidays with meals and things like that. Um, Yeah, so it's a chaotic community. Um, It's a very multicultural um, community as well. Um, our church community um mm. and um, so we've got people from all over the world um it's it's hilarious at times um, <laughs> but it's good fun yeah we just people just say what they think um and that's that's just the way it is um it's been quite a learning experience i only came nine months before lockdown so um mm. it it was just it was just crazy um as we got there <laughs> yeah we were just it was quite broken in in many ways um doing some amazing work but but there was quite fragmented and we were just getting things together and then lockdown hit um and um, everything kind of sped up (laughs) that we had to get things to get people together um, and stuff so
0: yeah so um in terms of uh this church context you know you said you moved just before Covid um how has that been different as an experience of ministry to perhaps others that you've been in before and um yeah tell us compare it to kind of a previous church where maybe where were you before and kind of what's that been like
2: so before here I was in a little place called Ramsbottom which is just north of Manchester um and that's where um, I did my ministering training and then I stayed on after ordination Um, And Ramsbottom is a tourist town. Um, The biggest interruption during services was the steam train going down the back of the church. It used to happen always in the prayers. Um, (laughs) And and always a whistle, always a whistle. Um, Yeah, just known as the Bohemian Enclave um, to me and my friends, because it's it's one of those places. It's very foodie. Yeah, all the cool people live there. That kind of thing. So so very different to here. Um, It's a very different experience. That was an ecumenical church, a Baptist Methodist church, quite traditional, um, and its outlook, not loads of stuff going on. Um, So I could start from scratch, whereas moving here, there was lots of stuff going on already. It was about bringing it together and finding some some stability. Um, Here is more me, Mm -hmm. um, but but there was a good start because they just loved me. Um, and um, it was a bit like a blank canvas in many ways um but both of them are all about my ministry was about bringing community together I see myself as a community builder um, and bringing people together um I've been described by somebody as like the fire in the hearth that people want to come and sit by um and that's how I see my role as a minister
0: yeah that's such a gorgeous image of ministry <laughs> Yeah, what a wonderful yeah. thing she says. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Well, that was Pat talk. We all love Pat talk. So
0: back well, to yeah. state Pat Tuck. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think you know we we kind of just you know as we were chatting beforehand, we kind of you talking about the kind of deprivation and and sometimes people can kind of romanticise experiencing ministry in a more kind of deprived area over and against a kind of perhaps some more middle class area um uh and and kind of thinking that you you know it's it's you know it's it's easier in some ways because everything's out in the open and we were just kind of wondering really about whether that's really true um do you want to say a bit more about that because I think it was a really interesting reflection well
2: um yeah so it's it's not easy. It's not an easy place to be, and um, and I think sometimes people um, look at the work that we're doing as a church and think it's it's amazing work that we're doing, um, which it is. And but the what underlies that is um, is is a lot of chaos and, that, and a lot of difficulty. We we serve a lot of people with mental health issues, um, and we know that the mental health services are so stretched um, and so broken um, that they don't get. The help that they need. Um, and a lot of those people with mental health health issues are our volunteers and workers, and um, and that chaos infiltrates the whole of our life because because you can't contr- when you're ill with your mental health you can't control uh, how you're going to react to things um, some of the time. So I did mental health first aid training last year, and I, and as I was going through it, I realised that in a year in the job here, I had learned. I'd actually done all the on-the-job training because I'd, I'd actually encountered all of the things that came up in the mental health first aid training. Um, so you've got to be resilient to be in a place like this and you've got to be um, strong. And I, I haven't didn't realize how resilient I was um, until, until I came here. Um, and when you have a church, any church in any community reflects what the community's like, although we're meant to reflect god's image and um you you do reflect what the community is like so where you've got a chaotic and broken community you're going to have a chaotic and broken church mm-hmm. um and um yeah you can see so starkly where jesus is at work in the neighborhood um i am um, preached on matthew 25 on sunday and just thinking about how christ's face is in the in the places where um we where we're serving um, and actually we can we can see that that god is at work even where the church is not um, and we want to get involved in that um but you can see again you can see it so starkly but then we also get lots of amazing answers to prayer so we like when we pray when we need more food we pray for more food and and then suddenly we get an abundance and so yeah so you can see that some lots of good stuff going on um yeah. but it is hard work i'm i'm just so tired as well um so you when you're in a situation like this you have to make sure you have the support networks um to to mean you get rest mm. um as though i you will burn out very quickly um which i think a lot of people
0: have done yeah i think and i think that through covid a lot of people are feeling really exhausted in ministry at the moment aren't they um mm. um what do you think um what do you think good support looks like? Um, what would it be for you?
2: Well, for me, i I live on my own. So um and I'm an
0: introvert, so that that
2: that's fine. Um, but there are some times I would like someone to get to come home to. <laughs> um but um yeah, but I don't think I could live with anyone, so it's a balanced tension, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's <no>, true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but my, I mean, through COVID, my support has come um, because um, I've had people who will check up on me all the time, um, and I was invited to join a bubble with another Baptist minister who who understands it, um, and we just let it all out to each other. But we could do that and keep one another sane throughout this whole thing. Mm. Um, but also, I think it's so important that you that you engage with the local Baptist ministers because they're the only ones who get it, because being Baptist is unique and special, um, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so so I think that, that that's good support. I think sometimes we complain we don't have support, but actually when you seek it out, it is there. Um, and and I just uh, our, um, our regional team is absolutely amazing in London, and um, and they're, they're, they've been brilliant through COVID. Mm. Um, I don't I know not everyone has that experience, but. Um that's really good support as well.
0: Yeah. I think um I think you're right about this the specialness and also the challenge of Baptist life, isn't it? Is that our networks are so organic. So the great thing is, you know, if you if you've got your local people and they get it and they get you, it's Mm. great. Um and that's where, you know, that's where the you know, the camaraderie is and that's where the kind Mm. of prayer is, and um, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a big part of a big part of it is that is that kind of peer-to-peer support that ministers can be to one another and, and other Baptists you know in in different spaces and places that have to be ordained but I think sometimes there is kind of a unique challenge in pastoring the church <laughs> that other people don't live through otherwise um, yeah
2: we have to tell each other how brilliant we are quite a lot I, that, that's really helped me get through when people have told me I'm amazing and I don't think it <laughs> I don't take it very well because <laughs> but actually we do need to tell each other that because um because that is what keeps us going um and um we listen to so much negativity actually mm-hmm. to have a voice in your ear that is always positive is really helpful too um, unless you are doing something that's not brilliant then you would hope someone would tell you um but generally telling each other how amazing you are is good so you're amazing Beth.
0: <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I mean, you're right. And churches can be like death by paper cuts, can't they? Sometimes it's just, they all say this tiny little thing and then it just mounts up and then you you get kind of engulfed by all these tiny little things that you're not doing very well. But actually the big picture of who you are is, is great. But nobody thinks to tell you that because they sort of assume your confidence and assume that you know that about yourself. And um, yeah, I do think, I wonder how much, of the things that do go actually wrong are based out of the kind of imposter syndrome moments and they're kind of yeah. not having the genuine confidence and 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 security about who we are and why we're doing what we're doing and all those yeah. sorts of things it's yeah it's it's a big old call to fulfill though, isn't it <laughs> it's understandably a bit daunting I think at times yeah 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 that's interesting um yeah I have um I have pastoral supervision every week and I've um, found it an absolute game changer because it also deal with mental health in a different context a lot and um and the kind of having that non-judgmental presence to work through with you why did you react like that and why didn't you see that part of a situation and um you know it's not it's not the same as somebody actively praising you although sometimes that is there which is helpful but it, it's just the kind of the secure space to kind of unpack it and go what mm. is this <laughs> <You know? Yep. laughs> where did this come from yeah yeah um and I think one of the things that um you you know I, I know you've started doing and I expect you're very good at um is, is mm. in doing some teaching um as spurgeon and that's kind of slightly come through kind of uh, another support network that is kind of developing our project violet so do you want to tell us a bit about what's what's going on with the teaching and then uh let's kind of yeah tell us the story
2: so um Jane Day
0: who um
2: she's been on this podcast
0: she's not yet on. she's on our list though um, all right you see poor Jane like I, I slightly stalked Jane's life <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's both been in the faith of society when she's at Regents so poor Jane has me a lot <laughs> but I will interview her definitely um absolutely yeah you yeah, should see but um yeah so she's
2: she lives not far away and we both moved to Croydon um about the same time um she moved from further away than me she was in south africa before um but we're both from the north as well and Croydon is a strange place um and it's and i refer to it as the far south because it feels so far away from um where my support networks have traditionally been um so um one thing that that Jane did was contact me and we we meet up quite regularly um but she also is really good at getting you to do stuff um so so she takes people alongside her um so normally women because that's that's her role and um and gets them involved in what she's asked to do because she's asked to do a lot um and then um she will get you to do more and more stuff so um to uh, just before lockdown I went with her to Spurgeons to help her teach on women in ministry in the in the Baptist Union so in Baptist Together so um we it was all about the structures and and the issue with the, all the regional team leaders being men apart from one um that all that kind of stuff um and so and she asked me to tell my story and then she, the next year um, she um, she was invited to 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 lead both the the lectures at Spurgeon's. One is a, a, a biblical theological reflection on women on two key texts in the Bible, um, and one is um, just general Baptist together stuff. Um, but she couldn't do the first one, so I was asked to do the first one, and that was on Zoom. Um, and then we did the second one together this year. I'm doing them both Mm -hmm. Um, and so yesterday um, I went and took my first in-person solo lecture and I really enjoyed it so um, it was good fun Um, just unpacking and exploring 1 Timothy 2 um, about women being silent and and, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 about making sure we covered and um, so yeah it was good fun and it was a good response and but I used to be a teacher and it just brings back I used to be a maths teacher though um but that brings back that kind of teaching experience so like being at the front of a class and um and the um the interaction in there so it's good fun and it seemed to go really well yesterday so yeah I was really quite pleased but I'm I went to Northern Baptist College so there's this kind of college rivalry isn't there and (laughs) <laughs> so so this this northern person northern person <laughs> lecturing at Spurgeons is a big thing so yeah, yeah
0: so so I've, yeah yeah it's funny isn't it although yeah uh, yeah how did how did you move I, I'll come back to Project Violet in a minute but how did you move from maths teaching to ministry tell us a bit about your call
2: oh well so I um, I first felt called cool to ministry when I was at university studying maths um, but I just really didn't feel like it was the right time. I probably wasn't confident enough. Um, I remember I was driving to the Christian Union House Party, or someone was driving me, um, and he said to me, I think you're called to ministry, Claire. <laughs> I thought, no, <laughs> I can't do this. Um, so I went and um, I took a year out working with um, UCCF, Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, which was an interesting experience. Um, I was speaking a bit about that yesterday. Um, the, where we were told that um on a number of occasions this isn't the, the it wasn't the general kind of ucs uccf feel where i was but you go to conferences that women shouldn't be in leadership in churches so i did quite a big piece of work on going through the whole of scripture saying well actually they they should be um, yeah and it was uh, i was told off for some of the assumptions i made and. That, that I should always have my head covered so um by a man <laughs> but <laughs> that was that was just the person that was looking at it so um then um I came out of that and I was looking for a job and my mum said um why don't you try and be a math teacher so I thought all right I'll do that um and I did that for um seven years knowing that um it wasn't a thing forever but the the whole ministry thing just kept coming up people kept random people kept on saying it Mm-hmm. Um, you just bump into someone and and then they'd say it um, and someone who didn't know you so I started to to preach a little bit Um had a really good minister who went through my giftings and encouraged me to preach which was really helpful um, and then I went to Baptist Assembly one year I started going to Baptist Assembly because I was on the Baptist Union Younger Leaders Forum mm-hmm. where um, there some of them were going so that was really good and I'd seen women the young women in ministry in that forum who were doing brilliantly and it made me think I might be able to do it so the the thing was on my mind but I went to Baptist Assembly and the preacher said uh, women you do you need to get on with it and she also said don't let your mortgage get in the way and they were my two things really <laughs> so my, I was that was my biggest excuse was my mortgage for not going into ministry, um. So I had to do it. Um, I looked to my sister, and she said, "If you don't do it, I will." Um, and I'm not called to it, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I ended up going to college and, and training for ministry. Mm.
0: Uh, yeah. So, in a nutshell, well, it's a it's, a, it's a kernel of a story. Um. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, t- Project Violet. Um. Like Jane's work kind of with that. Have, uh, how have you connected in in that in? I mean, obviously you've been taking on some teaching. Is, is that been something that you've kind of connected with in other ways?
2: Um, so I have contributed my essay to Project Violet. They um they asked for an essay um on uh, your experience as a woman in ministry in ministry. Um and I'm a big supporter of Project Violet. Um, and um I will talk about it to everyone who oh, I see <laughs> I think I'm being interviewed for it soon mm-hmm. um so I'm part of um a I kind of slipped in by the back door um a leadership training program for women in a ministry called magnify you mm-hmm. um which is about women with the potential to to go on to great things or something like that I don't know what the but yeah, I' still not quite sure why I'm in it because I I kind of got invited randomly one day while while they were already meeting on Zoom, but <laughs> but um, I'm going to be uh, talking about that and the experience of that. So in that in that um, training track, we've had people come and speak to us, Lightling Green, um, and like um, who else? We had um, the Bishop of London come and speak to us. The other the mm-hmm. month which was really interesting um, we've had Kate Coleman come and speak to us um, just about their experiences of ministry um, and, and building resilience um, and all sorts of other different stuff so that's been really good so I guess that that's really got Project Violet on my mind mm-hmm. um, and I'm, sometimes I'm a sounding board for Jane as well because we meet all regularly So, um, right. but I'm hoping that as it goes on have a chance to get a little bit more involved in it Mm.
0: um i think i just realized that i've kind of launched into project violet because it's um it's you know something that's connected very closely to regions as well and i um i haven't actually we haven't really explained what it is um and there might be people who are thinking what is this project violet and how do i you know how do i what what do i how do i find out about that do you want to give us like a a kind of um you know a nutshell description of, of what project violet is and maybe kind of yeah kind of where where people could go.
2: So it's a uh, um, it's research into women's experience in ministry, um, and uh, it's Jane and it's Helen Cameron, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Who yeah. are um, who are heading it up? Um, and they're gathering together. They've gathered stories of women in ministry, um, and now they've taken that. People have read them and and summarized them and researched them, and um, and then they. It was announced last week that there's um, there's going to be six areas they're going to look into, and it's mainly um, people from colleges and regional ministers who are then interviewing women in ministry on these six areas. Um, you can find out more about that on the Project Violet website, which has loads of really good stuff on it. Um, and it's got loads of good reading on it as well. I read one of your articles on there as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't <laughs> even remember writing. That's always a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, recommended, I think I recommended the... Um, yeah, I read it before, I took the London NAMS gender justice stuff, so um, yeah, I read it before then, <laughs> see if there was anything I could use.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel very flattered. <laughs> what did I write? <laughs> no, don't tell me, I don't want to know, it's like, it's like listening I to people on voicemail. I think it was in your in
2: your masters or something like that, you wrote something, maybe,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah. remember, everything yeah. falls out of my head, so. <laughs> I think um I think uh I don't know about you but I find I write things about um things that I should you know like they're kind of my lived experience Mm -hmm. is like um inevitably seems to be the the bits of theology that connect most strongly Mm -hmm. and I guess that that's inevitable isn't it in many ways um but I'm kind of in awe of people who like kind of write their all their theological work about kind of third century something or other because I, I yeah I can't really that's not, that's not who I am definitely a practical theologian and definitely it's like oh I'm living out this in some way how do I make theological sense of it um, and so anything I ever write is inevitably come out of, of that or yeah. actually the other reason I write things is because Andy Goodliffe has made me do it in some way okay. it's almost always Andy Goodliffe who seems to strong arm me into writing something so um, yeah yeah, we definitely. I,
2: I, yeah, sorry.
0: No, I was just um, thinking people who are with us, uh, kind of definitely, who make us do things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So
2: um, my uh, my master's was in contextual theology because that's what they do at Northern. So I got told off by my, um, by my church secretary for using context too much because because I've just got it drummed into me everything has to relate to context and and it is who I am. um I'm much more um reflect I reflect on my own context and write from experience um rather than um doing something abstract, which is strange as a mathematician, but I wasn't an applied mathematician. So um that's why I taught the
0: applied stuff. So that make, does make a little bit of sense. And I think it's also uniquely Baptist, right? Is that we are contextual church. That's that's what we're yeah. meant to be. We're meant to be <laughs> this local expression um that this this local thing that we gather as community that um you know maybe chaotic and maybe um uh and maybe graced <laughs> and hopefully is a little bit of both always um you know it seems to be kind of you know where god does what we are as church and and that i think is always going to be therefore reflective of the local um, uh, and if it's not reflective of the local, arguably maybe something has gone quite wrong. But also, um, yeah, we are we are the local. Um, we're not hierarchical. It's not somebody else deciding how we should be. It's this it kind of ground up thing that that you know we we discern the mind of Christ. And um, I so I think yeah, uh, context is is so important. Uh, yeah, quite agree.
2: That's one of the big things where I am. So all of these programmes you get sold and, and all of that, they don't work in a community like mine because it is, it is just so unique, beautifully unique, um, that you try and use something prepackaged packaged and you have to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that's really worked since I've been here is the prayer course because it, it is um, very, it acknowledges very much the brokenness of life. So so actually it starts from a place where we are, whereas the, whereas a lot of the other stuff, you, you get halfway through it and you think, well, it doesn't really fit, um, because a lot of them are from written from a middle class perspective and it doesn't work in, in our community. Um, so context is so important. I spend so much time writing stuff, um, which I quite enjoy, but um, I sometimes think I shouldn't need to do that.
0: Mm. Yeah and whether it's interesting isn't it that you know whether if you replicate that for others whether then that would be helpful or not I don't know Mm. because I'm I'm sure there must be other people in similar situations um, who could find that really helpful but then how much it's it's so unique to each space
2: that's what I've got my sabbatical coming up and that's what I'm going to be looking at a little bit um, as to how places in similar situations do worship and discipleship and see how that all fits together
0: yeah that sounds really interesting I kind of want to get you back on the podcast after that, <laughs> found out. I, actually, I actually have to arrange to visit them next so. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that um, yeah. one of the reasons um we we know each other is uh, is social media and um and um I'm really um i I, I was remembering fondly the time that um I, I uh going around the assembly, Rob was, my husband was slightly weirded out that everybody seemed to know who he was. And, um, he was expressing this thought to me and you wonderfully chipped in from behind him. Yes, I know who you are, Rob. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was, it was very, very funny. Um, <laughs> for me anyway, I, I thought it was very good. Um, so, um, I, I just wanted, know, uh, kind of thinking about kind of how we, how context kind of locates us, but then kind of how do we create, relationships and all that kind of things I wonder what um you know social media is like for you and and kind of as as a kind of resource or as a forum I don't quite know how to explain it it was how do you use social media I am. Um, I have a
2: love-hate relationship with it. Um, so particularly with Facebook, Facebook drives me mad sometimes. Um, but I love Facebook because it it brings people together um, if it's done right, and it can be a positive place if it's done right. Um, well, in right, in my opinion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. So I just because I'm on my own, I just use it to share share with. My friends and family, what I'm doing, um, and then my friends and family expands to, to church life as well. So, um, so yeah, it's so I use it just to just to share some of my life mm-hmm. um, because I think if people are going to trust you, they need to know something about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be honest about who you are. Um, I try and keep it positive and not negative. So. I am um, I use different social medias in different ways, so, yes. so so Facebook is generally um just sharing um the positive bits of life and trying to bring joy um and um and just making sure that my mom knows I'm okay because I've good' <laughs> because I've been for a walk um <laughs> so yeah, she um she worries if I haven't posted about a walk um <laughs> so. So that helps. Um, but also, I used to use it a lot in my old church to, to keep the church together. But, um, but this church doesn't really use Facebook quite as much. Um, I also use it as a um, as a, a kind of front page to our church life and what we're doing, um, which is, which is a, a good thing to do. Um, Twitter I use, is more of my sounding board. So I'm uh, I'm more, I'm more uh, my politics is more obvious on Twitter and um and how I'm feeling is more obvious on Twitter. Um I sometimes wonder if it should be, but it just disappears, doesn't it? So um so that's all right. I I have never thought of deleting Twitter, I've thought of deleting Facebook, so I obviously like that one better. Um <laughs> yeah, but I I just just kind of talk about my observations and things. So um, but because I see myself as a community builder, you've got to be where people are and people are on social media. So, mm. um, so if they are, then then you've got to be where they are. I think I think it's really important for ministers to have social media accounts. Not, I know not everyone would
0: agree, um, but I think it is. <laughs> is it, well, it's a public dimension of who we are and we're quite public figures, aren't we, as ministers? Mm. Um, That's it
2: but but yeah. it, i mean it can't be just about the work that you're doing it's got to be about the person you are as well because otherwise people can't relate to you and and trust and a relationship is so important in this role
0: yeah, yeah absolutely it's about the character and yeah all of it yeah um you i know one of the things you do do is um you tweak your nightmares um so yeah. i just wanted to talk about <laughs> that Can you up telling us about that so uh, I am I'm an
2: interesting sleeper (laughs) so when I'm stressed um and when I um or something's coming up or or I've just had a long day or yeah something on my mind I will will either not sleep or I'll dream a lot and have really weird nightmares um and so you know when you have a nightmare and you wake up shaking a little bit um and then you think about it and it's just a load of rubbish really um and then I, so I, what I do is I tweet it. So if you can write your nightmare in under 140 characters and not disturb people and make them laugh, it means that it's it's not really anything to worry about. Um, there are occasions I haven't tweeted my nightmares because they've been a bit scary. But <laughs> but yeah, like the other day, um, and I dreamt about how um, I could only had only had the right to vote if I um, if I ate peas, took a photo of myself eating peas. Um, but I hate peas. Peas are evil. So they, so, so they, so then they told me I could go to Poundland and buy frozen peas, um, and instead and have a postal vote. But they wouldn't. But they wouldn't let me in Poundland. So I had my right to vote taken away because of the peas. Like you can't explain that. But it was just a. It was a horrible. I just felt awful afterwards. But I tweeted it and felt better.
0: <laughs> I guess it showcases the absurdity of what our brains put together in yeah. moments of anxiety or, or yeah. kind of distilling whatever it is that we've been living through yeah. that day. Had your that day of Right to Work, Freddy?
2: That was the night before I was going to teach at Spurgeon's, so put those two together. Oh, okay.
0: Well, I don't know. Maybe they weren't going to let you into Poundland. <laughs> no, no. don't
2: know. Let me into yeah, That's the most bizarre one. <laughs> that's the most bizarre one I've had lately. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah like guess um I think it's really um it yeah no it's really interesting to um to think about uh the kind of necessity of of being a whole person on Twitter and not just um or or Facebook or whatever um not mm-hmm. just using it in a way that says something about kind of this is what I'm doing and look at my shiny shiny life <laughs> my shiny shiny church, my shiny shiny ministry and um yeah it can be a bit of a highlights real it? and actually the kind of navigating carefully, um, you know, how do you sort of also bring in some of the complexities or the absurdities or, um, you know, the kind of, you know, those things in 140 characters, you know, I'm so easy to do, but, um, yeah, um, I know, um, I know some church Twitter spaces can become a bit heated. And I always think that actually Baptist Twitter is a really rather lovely place to be, um, that I watch Anglican Twitter sometimes eat its own young and like get into really weird wars about when exactly a festival should be observed or something. And it's like, what (laughs) what is going on? Um, How much lace they should have on something. And I just think, I don't think Jesus minds. I just don't think he minds. Um, (laughs) Maybe wrong. But I'm not sure that's the priority. Um, whereas I think, you know, we kind of um I think actually Baptist Twitter is a really rather lovely little kind of area of the world where actually it's it's been really nice. I've loved networking through Baptist Twitter. Yes. It's been a really great thing. I, f- I feel like I know people through Twitter. Yeah. And then you get to like Baptist Assembly and you're like, oh, I've seen you in real life as opposed to you being like yeah. something <laughs> on my screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely and it feels like genuine friendships not just kind of like it's like pen pals isn't it where you actually almost can get to know somebody deeper than perhaps you would do if you just hung out with them in a kind of normal way because actually you teach to talk about the things that really matter and yeah. yeah yeah um talking about things that really matter we always ask people two questions um uh, and we ask the same two questions. And, and the first one is, if there was um, one thing that you would want to declare to our union, what would it be?
2: Um, I think it's that we're better together. So um, I remember one Baptist assembly, um, one of the songs was Jack Johnson's Better Together. We didn't actually sing it, I just played it a lot. Um, and um, that always sticks in my mind. Um, just that we've not got to give up on the Baptist ways of being together. Um, it makes life better there's so much value in the Baptist family um, there's so much wisdom there's so much support and um, there's so much experience there's so much challenge um, there's so much resource as well because we talked earlier didn't we no one gets being a Baptist like a Baptist <laughs> um, and also being in a deprived community I've really experienced how we're better together um, particularly over lockdown um, there was a point where we needed some repairs on the months um, that would have wiped us out um, and we were supported by the local Baptists and um, mm-hmm. we were able to get that done and it meant we survived the pandemic um, and I think as churches we need to be aware of those around us where there is work going on that's really good but where resources might be lacking um, and I think that the, the Baptist, if the Baptist network is working really well um, then we notice one another um, and we stand by one another, which is really, really good. And I was just so grateful for that, um, that at that time, the way that that we've supported one another um, around here in Croydon and beyond. <laughs> um, and, um, and also we're better together, um, the context of where we are, which we've talked about as well. We're better um, working with our community and seeing where God is at work in our neighbourhood rather than trying to just implant something in. Um, I think some Baptist ministers will go to a new church and um, try and change everything. Mm. Um, And that's not what we should be doing. We we should be sitting where we are um, and working out where God is at work already Um, and um, and understanding the community that we're in. So we're better working with the community and not against it. Mm.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So um, if Baptists have one thing to declare or have something to declare to the world, what would that be? The same thing. (laughs) So
2: we're better together. I've got a hashtag better together as well. I often hashtag it. (laughs) We're better together. So when Baptists are working at the best, um, then we live amongst the tensions of a declaration of principle, um, which has Jesus at the centre, but is designed to help us thrive even if we disagree. Um, At our worst, we get caught up in the details, not the least where we can have the lace but other details Um, and we block others out but if we can um but if our ecumenical communities and our communities could could stand together in their disagreements the way the declaration of principle is meant to help us stand together in that then we can better together see how the world is could be transformed which is something i've seen in the community meetings that we've been having here um, that, that people haven't fallen through the gaps because we've been working together um, and I'm just so grateful to be part of that.
0: Mm. Thank you, a fabulous answer. Well, um, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today and um, I uh, uh, thank you for coming on and um, sharing a bit of your life and um, taking this time out to just to reflect with us about your Baptist experience and where you are situated. And thank you for being such a, a big supporter of the podcast. We really love that you support us like this. It's um really delightful for us to have people who think this is a, a better together moment. Um and that's <laughs> why we we kind of invented it really it was definitely this like we think there's something really special in being Baptist and we think it's actually the other people who are in the Baptist life with us that that actually is this relationality thing that um yeah we wanted to to kind of celebrate those stories and those people that we uh we loved being Baptist with so um Clay one of the people we love being Baptist with so please add that to your fire um and um (laughs) and <laughs> we, we really look forward uh to hearing um a bit about how your sabbatical goes as well. I we hope that goes really well. And um we we'll look thank forward you. to yeah, learning from that. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So David, what did you make of that then?
1: Well, I loved uh, listening to your chat um, with Claire. A little bit of nostalgia for me. The church I was in before moving to Shoebury here is sort of the next door Baptist church. New Addington was in our cluster group and I know folks in the church um, where Claire is. Um, But how wonderfully articulate Claire is and and has this gift of phrasing things in such a way that just, just made me think, more people need to listen to Claire. She just mm-hmm. has, uh, I just wanted to listen to her more and um, I pray she'll be given platforms to share her wisdom with the world. Uh, so I, I really, really enjoyed enjoyed it. Um, there were a couple of things I specifically picked out that I thought it might be interesting to, to talk about. Um, and the first was that the sort of the metaphor, the image that Claire spoke about, obviously picking up on Pat's wisdom and as we... Uh, acknowledged we all demur to Pat's wisdom.
0: Baptist <laughs> saint, I think was the phrase I used. yeah Baptist saint. <laughs> um
1: yeah and Pat might be the only person who could legitimately claim to uh, hold that title, I think really she's certainly up there. For no me.
0: no, Jeff Colmer.
1: oh okay, okay. Wilkinson well allowed cons- well, uh, well allowed to. Um,
0: I think Kate Coleman arguably could be as well. Well, I mean, um, so we've got a few, I would argue. we
1: started the podcast
0: was <laughs> yes, we I know. were in a bar having
1: a conversation about all these wonderful people, but we couldn't list, we ended up with a list of 250. Um, <laughs> uh, so we've got a number of seasons to come, everybody, just so excited, but we would love to get Pat on the podcast.
2: Mm. Um,
1: anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But the image that Claire used about, was it uh, a fire in the hearth that people want to come and sit by? I I mean, it's such a rich image. I love that. And I mean, do you have sort of a metaphor for ministry that you sort of understand what you're called to do in that way? Um, Because while you're thinking about that, see the cogs turning there. And for me, I often think of it as I feel like I'm the host at a gathering, a party. Mm. I feel like I'm holding the space. That that is sort of the metaphor. The host of a party is what I tend to. To work with, but I like the fire in the hearth people.
0: Mm. Oh, they're both so great. Um, I've had such different ministries. I'm not sure I have a like a theme that's sat through all of them. Okay. Apart from no, I do. I've always had this idea that I'm called to have a foot in both camps of academic world and ministerial world. Mm-hmm. That um, that my ministry uh, would always lose something if it didn't have a kind of an academic angle at some point that I had to think theologically about what I was doing that that was part of my soul that that was part of my core but also that I'm also always meant to have a foot in in the real so that my my academic theology like I couldn't just just be and there's no just be an academic theologian I'm sure but I couldn't only be an academic theologian I would lose Everything that I am meant to be about, at the same time, because it would. The the point is that any any theology I do academically is always about rooting back into the local church, rooting back into the real, uh, rooting back into ministry. And so for me, it's about um, the both and of those. I've always had this idea that I'm meant to have a foot in both camps. That I don't know what that means, trying to straddle both of those spheres, and it's had very different looks in very different ministries so far. Um, Whether that's been doing an academic degree alongside training for ministry or, you know, doing academic work alongside a really poor and very multicultural pastorate, whether it's been about having a role that's been much more kind of focused in justice work and theological thinking, um, but for the local church, or whether that's now, which is chaplaincy in an academic environment, like they've all differed from each other quite significantly, but they've all had that theme. So maybe that's, maybe that's the answer.
1: Yeah. Well, I I love that. And, um, I want to go and sit beside that fire. (laughs) Oh, right. You know, and I know I kind of say all the time that I, I feel like I get fussier and fussier the longer I do this uh, Mm -hmm. about whose church I could go and be. (laughs) Um, but, listening to either I could be in Claire's church I'd be up for Claire being my minister and, uh, so perhaps the list is is bigger than I think but uh, how wonderful to to see how how people around are responding and I think that ties into that sort of community building mm. ministry that Claire spoke about as well because you can't do that if you don't have something of that warmth I don't think yes. you can't do that effectively and so I think that that what to extend at the risk of overstretching the metaphor but but it, it that is what it, partly what enables people to to gather around and actually gather around her and which enables them to gather together and uh, just such a, a wonderful thing and see that recognized you know by the council and rotary and whoever else you know yeah quite, quite something and anyway so it's a, it's a metaphor i've not heard before but i shall chew on for some time
0: oh she just sounds so skilled doesn't she like
1: skilled is a good word
0: the the way she was describing like chairing those meetings and and I was trying to be like well <laughs> what was the secret here what are you doing and she was like oh just do it and I'm like yeah you just 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 managed to make a really complicated Zoom meeting work that superbly I mean yeah you know, it's clearly I mean it's clear real gift
2: yeah
1: and, and being able to say that out loud that claire is gifted and claire is good at this i think is uh, ties into one of the other things that i was struck by in her interview was just i mean you asked her what does good support look like and there was a number of things that you guys spoke about and she just spoke about you know the organic nature of ministers and support and, and all that stuff and she but then claire said about a big part of this is just telling people they're amazing <laughs> yeah uh Lord knows we need to be better at this. Yeah, I think I don't know. We do assume people know, and they don't. And it's just such a good thing. I, I think everyone should have to have a stash of. I mean, I'm a card sender. That's how I choose to do this. Um, but I, I think everyone should have a stack of cards on in their study or their office or whatever. And once a week, they should have to send one to somebody else. I mean, I'm not as organised as that, but it's, it's just such a good thing. What what a difference it would make if more people took the attitude that it's part of their job to tell people that they're amazing other people colleagues in ministry i i just think mm. the world needs a bit more of that never mind our baptist movement needs a bit more of that it's just a good thing and i loved it and it, it kind of reignited that flame in me so I'm grateful to claire for that
0: i think it's, it's about deeply appreciating who people are isn't it and and how we communicate that can can vary in all sorts of ways whether it's valuing them in I don't know in just all sorts of different ways we can value people but um you I have to say I was I was thinking uh, one of the things like what would I say about like how is David amazing and I was and I literally thought to myself he sends he's got such a great card ministry so I've loved your card ministry you have this knack of just knowing when to send it and then it just turns up on that day you didn't know you needed a card from David but there it is on your doorstep and isn't that lovely um so I really I really appreciate your card ministry David I just want you to know that so um thanks for being amazing
1: (laughs) well bless you Uh, but Beth it is easy to do that when you have good people to send cards to who are doing amazing things (laughs) it is wonderful to hear all that you're doing and um it is easy to encourage such good things so bless you in all that you're doing too
0: so david what do you think good support is
1: what do i think good support is i'm not a, i don't know if i'm a good person to answer this question um <laughs> I, I i think on one level it looks different for different people and da, 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 i know all the answers with that.
0: A good fudge.
1: Um, <laughs> no, it's a fudge i have put you on the spot yeah no that's good um What does good support look like? I do think, I mean, we're both advocates for pastoral supervision Mm -hmm. and uh, for the importance of therapy, uh, you know, the appropriate times. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you do just need space, as Claire was talking about, with other ministers as well. Um, All those things are really important. And I I think you do need a mixture of different things in order to do this really well. But space Mm -hmm. where you can not feel like you have to pretend whatever that looks like whatever that's mm. you find that in a number of different ways and places I think is really crucial and uh, I think that for me is if I haven't got that that's the thing I miss yeah I feel like I'm having to work hard to sort of be an appropriate way in this conversation that's it means it's not doing its job for me I mean that's the advantage I guess of paying for therapy because you know <laughs> <laughs> they're paying to deal with whatever you present them uh, <laughs> you know um perhaps i should be paying my cluster group to just uh <laughs> what yes. I bring them um, but i'm very blessed to have a wonderful cluster group by the way um yeah. but yeah i
0: think it's a really
1: interesting conversation i'm going to think more about that too
0: but i think it's really interesting about kind of you know whether it's pastoral supervision or kind of um psychotherapeutic practice whatever it is that you get your kind of for 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 me that's been the kind of two forms of of things um over the last few years and um i what i find really useful about that um that i've i've kind of put in is the practice of the boundaries that they have so so obviously it's, it's very kind of whatever the psychodynamic terminology is that they use which is all about kind of you know you're dealing with the thing in the room um because it resembles something outside of the room but you present it as what happens in the room. Um, so the symbol is all there. And I think symbol really connects uh, for me as a minister in terms of what we're about It's you know, kind of gospel and liturgical people. But I also think, um, you know, I, I was thinking I was writing a sermon today. Um, I was just thinking how much my preaching style has changed since, mm. since having been through that process of having to listen to myself in that way. Um, and I think it's the kind of appreciating the kind of the care practices of the clarity of of boundarying situations, of um, you know, but kind of listening to kind of the ways that you maybe need to say things that people wouldn't hear otherwise that I wouldn't have heard in myself before. So it wouldn't have been able to hear in other people before and now can. um But but I was thinking, you know, even as I was doing this funeral today, um, you know, one of the things that they're really good at is kind of closing down the space so they they you know you talk about hosting space but i think i think this is what um any therapist or pastoral supervisor does as well which is like basically your time's up and you're gonna have to leave um and they do that really well and really kindly but very clearly there is no like there is no wiggle room on that it is you know kind of they they close it down and they have different ways of doing that um depending on who they are but they all have a way of doing that um, and I was thinking today, I, it was one of those funerals where we didn't close the curtain oh, okay. at the Crown, yeah. yeah. and which I've, you know, wouldn't be my pastoral decision. But I, I deeply appreciate that people, for all sorts of different reasons, have the decisions for how they make that. And I'm always about accommodating what people want because I think it's really important that the funeral reflects who, who they are and what they want as a family, um, and who the person was that's died, and all of that. Um, but I thought to myself that I because the curtain is not going to close the closure really matters here because this person has died and we have to leave the coffin behind and, and kind of just, you know, that things. that's why we always close the curtain because actually then people don't have to make the decision to leave. And I think leaving a coffin is really, really hard, but but I had to help them navigate how they were going to close that themselves because it hadn't happened in the service. So I was, but I thought about that and I thought about that really carefully. And I thought about that in the words I used and talked about, you know, we are going to have to go. Uh, we will have to leave here, but we have got this space and we have got this time just to make sure that you can use this in this way. We will, and then we will go. And this is how we're going to do it so that, you know, this is the process. And And I just thought, I would not have thought to hold this in this way five years ago that's been okay. this bit of you know being past supervised that has enabled me to even like to get to that and I'm, I'm kind of I'm waffling now so I should close this down but I think um <laughs> but but I think it's really interesting isn't it that you kind of you know there are all sorts of bits of this that then like they turn up in other spaces that are absolutely not the, the stuff that you're dealing with, because obviously, I you know I don't normally take funerals in my job at the moment, and what I'm dealing with in pastoral supervision is, is none of those things. But it, it but it's interesting that those boundary language then find itself in different places, or that listening attentive language finds itself in different spaces. And I think the way I preach has changed. What even listened to in God's word has changed, and how I hear that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to me.
1: Interesting, um, and to speak of boundaries. Mm. Claire spoke about social media a little bit and I feel like social media is always one of those terms that sort of older people who don't use particular social media use to describe a world of things that they don't engage with. Um, and I know the running joke on this podcast is that I'm the old one um, um even though I'm you know five minutes older than you um but um
0: You've got far fewer wrinkles, if it's any consolation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but Claire said, or, "I think it was she." I mean, basically, her point was that every minister should do should be engaging with social media. And I, I thought I haven't heard somebody say that quite as clearly as that. And I, I mean, Claire was really good at just being clear all the way yeah. through. Is one of the things I loved about listening. To. And then she spoke about having Facebook and Twitter, and how she uses them differently, and um and i i have facebook and twitter um, i feel like i get facebook um twitter i feel like i'm sort of constantly flapping around not really sure how to make the most of this i, I get the impression you're the other you use twitter a lot more yeah
0: yeah no i've been, facebook is the thing i keep because my grandpa likes it
1: yeah tell, tell tell me about how social how that all works for you in terms of sort of mm-hmm. ministry and things um
0: it's worked very differently in different ministries again um but i think i would say um facebook is the thing i often think about deleting like oh, wow. why am i on this is there any point um
1: so same as claire then she-
0: yeah and also um can i can we say this i'm gonna say this there are quite a lot of baptist facebook groups of which i am not allowed on most of them anymore because i work for the union and it turns out you get ceremoniously dumped from quite a few when you work for the union because apparently that's a thing and like you don't need the support of those groups anymore because you don't count as a proper minister or something I'm not sure what it's meant to be but um I'm not bitter um but I find I do find quite a lot of them are not always as illuminating as I would love the Baptist family to be in a virtual space especially when that's a fairly public virtual space. So some of them are fairly public groups and I think um, we don't always get that right. Uh, The reason I stay is because there are a couple of groups and I have to say they're actually all female spaces um, that I've really loved being a part of and have been really helpful and illuminating parts of my ministry and that I stick in because They're deeply precious to me. And in fact, one of those groups, particularly um, quite a small one, which is a a press support group for a few of us, I um that's that is my reason for still having Facebook. I wouldn't have Facebook otherwise. Um, although my grandparents are big fans of Facebook and do love it when I put pictures of kids up. And I have to say, I I do find that easier as a kind of public notice board moment of my life than trying to remember to text everybody the same pictures of the snail and the whale costume in World Book Day times or whatever it is um so Facebook is that and then I think Twitter has been something I've always used politically quite a lot because of JPIT stuff and like used it to try and campaign at various points and I'm is more I think I'm I'm less thoughtful and more on the go with Twitter um I do sometimes think should I be on there should I not um aware too that um you know you have less control over who follows you and all that kind of thing I mean I could close it down and make it private but um it seems to slightly defeat the point although I'm aware so uh, I did some filming for something it's going to come out in a a few weeks to months time and um I'm pretty aware that when that comes out I'm almost definitely going to make my things private for a while so that I do get that anonymity um for a bit um but I have Instagram we haven't mentioned Instagram and obviously we're I'm not cool enough to be on Snapchat or TikTok I should say like I am not on anything trendy I Instagram is my cool my cool um I have several Instagrams I haven't got one I've got several and I Instagram is the one I really have loved um it's like it's the opposite to Twitter in that it's almost all visual and not at all like not as much wordy but um like I like the mini blogs that you can like put with a picture, and like like the cleverness of being able to link those things together. Um, yeah, so I've I've enjoyed Instagram. I don't use it as much, again, just because life has changed; it's busier. But um, yeah, that the kind of creative element of Instagram I've really enjoyed over the years. I've got like a personal Instagram; it just has pictures of the kids on, and it's got nothing else. And it's um, you know you'd think I was terribly domestic and very boring, but um, never. But I, I have another Instagram, which I use more deliberately to kind of be kind of a bit more creative. And yeah, I just really enjoyed that. That's been a, it was a space that for for a point in time was really important for me. And I have it still because I mean, I don't use it very much anymore. But just every now and again, it kind of, you know, it's nice to be able to still be in that. But I don't really blog anymore. I used to blog and I don't really do that. That felt a bit too exposing. So it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Those were the days. It was all yeah, about blogs. the blogs. I know. I never got to the stage of having a blog, um, but uh, I don't have Instagram. I made a decision when I start. I was quite late to adopt Twitter as well. Um, I'm quite late to adopt most things, really. But um, I decided. It's because uh, you're so
0: old, David. <laughs> I'm so
1: old. But, um, <laughs> I can barely keep up with Facebook, Twitter, and my two email accounts. In fact, like as anyone who's emailed me in the last three weeks knows, I can't keep up with those <laughs> things. So. I decided I needed to not add another platform into my life, whereas at home, I mean Anna would use Instagram, that would be her platform of choice, I think let's say where so. but what Claire was saying as well is that and we find or I certainly find Facebook is quite a helpful sort of front door for the church, and we get quite a lot of interaction with other Christians from other places, but also with our community, so we' just started mm. a big new community project this week and a lot all the promotion where we've connected with people has happened via facebook yeah um and that's been really really helpful and facebook partly because of the age demographic it reaches i think generally is a bit older than some of the other platforms why i'm probably at home on it um because you're so old (laughs) yeah there's a whole no i can't tell that story another time but um, (laughs)
0: You can't leave that hanging.
1: Can I, oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. We're drifted, but it's good. So we were <laughs> at college, theological college, so, so some years ago now, and we had a guest lecturer in, I can't remember what for, and he said, who's the oldest person in the class? And the two people sitting next to me turned and pointed to me. It was very <laughs> confusing for the guest lecturer because I think I was one of, if not the youngest person in the room at the time. And they're like, well, okay, if you mean physically, obviously it's whoever it was, but if you're asking who's the oldest person in this class, like mentally, you clearly need to be talking to Dave because he's a woman, is <laughs> and has been for some time, and this sort of became the running joke for most of my life. Um, so yeah, I'm perfectly at home with the grandparents on Facebook. That's those are my people.
0: So we have um, a church Instagram, which I set up in lockdown times. You know, because I didn't have enough to do with a week-old baby. Um, so. Uh, we had a church Instagram, and that was very briefly very important for the church. and I think yeah. I tried to train others up and hand it on, and it doesn't seem to have quite <laughs> retain the thing. Uh, and I think it's perhaps that you do need to have quite a unique voice on Instagram in a way, and like you know, it doesn't quite transition otherwise. Um, if you're not a big corporate account anyway, and we obviously weren't because we're a local church, um, but the um, we obviously have kind of church facebook and stuff as well but um we have also got a village facebook page i don't know if you have a village facebook page the village facebook page is the quiet joy of my life and also it has to be muted because i can't cope with it all the time but um every now and again i like to enjoy the village facebook page recently in its wisdom somebody decided to post free to a good home headstones from the <laughs> beloved's grave. Like to my dear dad type, you know, full like kind of on the grave stones. It was a memorial. I, I don't really know how it got there. It was one of those moments of screenshot this in absolute horror meets like just extraordinary image. Like um, yes. Anyway.
1: Rural R- Oxfordshire is a special place.
0: Rural Oxfordshire, free to a good home memorial stones, apparently. I just it was just one of those moments of like, I don't really know where we've got to, but I think the pandemic has not been good for this place anymore.
1: Well, I and mean, that is quite something, isn't it?
0: we just keep talking about funerals today don't we it's clearly on our heads
1: we we probably should end with a
2: blessing <laughs>
0: Yeah, we really should sorry world we're, we're hopefully the news will have maybe not be quite so grim and a little bit more cheerful and um yeah you haven't been buried you can call beloveds this week and and all that kind of thing i i don't
1: recall headstones on the shoopiness Residents association facebook page but <laughs> Um, I think it's my turn to do the blessing this week, isn't it? So uh, we'll end with our season two um, blessing. May you see opportunities to bring hope, healing and peace where others do not. May you have the courage to speak up for those that get overlooked. May you be aware of God's spirit at work in the words you speak, the safe spaces you create and the relationships you you are loved by god may those that you encounter know that they are loved too amen well um, lovely to share this time with you and i look forward to catching up with a new guest next week